What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. As the final lines are drawn in the blood of the slain animal in your arms, space itself seems to bend and fracture. Three-dimensional cracks like a damaged crystal form behind you. With a thunderous boom, a section shatters and you find yourself staring into an unfathomable blackness that shakes you to your primal core. From this faraway place, a warped, terrible column of flesh emerges, bashing you aside. As you rise to your feet, you see the target of your summons before you. This description is from Describe. Describe your world and is named Cosmic Summoning with an unexpected result. Go to Describe.com slash RPGBot and type in RPGBot5 at code for checkout for $5 off your first subscription page. Welcome to the RPGBot.podcast. I will be your host tonight, Randall James, and with me is my associate, Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And also, Ash Eli. Greetings, explorers. Tyler, what, what will we, do, we be doing tonight? Uh, 1950s drama radio. <laughs> on old time radio <laughs> oh the horror people the horror <laughs> yes well it's the end of spooktober this is the final spooktober episode of 2022 no. so we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about cosmic horror now cosmic horror is one of those like sub genres of horror if you're familiar with hp lovecraft like there you go. You get it already. So this is going to be kind of a, a crash course for using cosmic horror in your games, especially if you're not familiar with cosmic horror and its themes. Awesome. So let's try to lay it out for folks. Like, what is cosmic horror at its roots? I, I think maybe a good way to approach this is talk about some examples of cosmic horror in popular media. And then we'll kind of use that to kind of pick out, okay, now what are the common themes that we're seeing across the board here? The first one that I want to hit is uh, either the novel or the film The Mist. This is a Stephen King novel. And, you know, a, a plot synopsis, spoilers for folks at home. Scientists on a military base open a portal to another dimension, leading our protagonist to be trapped in a grocery store surrounded by mist. Uh, while creatures kill and consume human beings outside the grocery store, a zealot convinces some of the more broken people inside the grocery store that this mist and these creatures in the mist are God's retribution on humanity for their sinful ways. Yeah, so that hits a lot of the things. Like you've got the, you have the unknowable things from beyond our understanding of reality. Uh, you have people going insane in response. They're like, okay, this is beyond our ability to comprehend. We're going to rationalize this with religion or whatever else we cling to. 
So I think there's a lot of definitions when you talk about cosmic horror and people have a lot of misconceptions about it. Mostly when you think about cosmic horror, you're like tentacles and <laughs> eyes, right? I no. mean, yeah. No. Although in this case, the mist totally had tentacles. That is part of it. But classically defined cosmic horror, not necessarily. Um, like an aboleth by itself would not be considered classic cosmic horror the implications of its existence are cosmic horror. Essentially, have you ever looked up in the stars and thought about, hey, we are insignificant. We don't matter. Our lives are small and short. And anything that's out there could end us at any time. A solar flare could go off and just destroy us. And no one would remember us. And no one would care. Because in the grand scheme of things, we are a blip on the timeline of existence. Well, that until is cosmic the, horror. Until the cockroaches, like, you know, gained intelligence and started reading our books, you know. Yeah. So nine years from now. I mean, essentially, cosmic horror, the thing that separates it from just existential horror is that cosmic horror is that existential dread given sentience and purpose. And the best way to describe it is eldritch abominations that are a classic staple of cosmic horror are to humanity what we are to cockroaches. <laughs> cockroaches cannot fathom how we think. They cannot fathom the world in which we inhabit. It is beyond their understanding. And us killing it, we don't kill them out of maliciousness, except maybe we think they're gross. <laughs> but we would step on a cockroach by accident or just because it got in our way or because it was messing with our plans or preconceived idea of our space i think that's the best way to understand how eldritch beings see humanity is that they they're classically defined in DD like abolus as evil but evil is kind of a simplistic way to look at eldritch beings they are beyond our understanding and they don't really have malicious intent to, towards us that we're not worthy of their notice they're just we're just things that are there and they can either tolerate us or they can get rid of us. It's kind of up to them. Well, I feel some existential dread. Welcome to Cosmic Core. I, I wanted to sneak a joke in there about uh, roach motels. I'm like, maybe that's Cthulhu's vengeance on us. But uh, anyway. So, ladies and gentlemen, The Mist. No, the uh, so the, the second example I wanted to give is uh, from video games. For folks who have played Darkest Dungeon... Uh, there's a lot of themes that you see here, and it actually culminates in it, right? So the idea in Darkest Dungeon, the player inherits a gothic manor, sends adventures deeper and deeper into a dungeon, discovering memoirs of the player's ancestor, describing terrible acts the ancestor did for the pursuit of knowledge, power, and personal gain. A key game mechanic is managing stress and pain inflicted on the adventuring party by allowing them either recreation time, like uh, drinking and having conjugal visits, or, uh, you know, going to, like, religious fanaticism, so, like, flagellation, self-flagellation, these sorts of things. Eventually, it is revealed that the fate of the world will be determined within the Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, that's another great example. Like, the the players go in not knowing a lot, and the more you learn, the worse it gets. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of the, like, eyes and tentacles, but you do get the feeling, like, there's something at, at work here that's just going to crush humanity because it doesn't care yeah i never finished that one well, so the ending of the game is discovering that literally the the end of the world is nigh unless the adventuring party survives hmm. 
and and again, like the mechanics of having to deal with stress, the different ways, the different mechanisms that you have available to you to deal with stress kind of all fit this. Yeah, Darkest Dungeon has pretty integral uh, sanity mechanic, which is another staple of cosmic horror. It is all about the breakdown of our sanities at the gates of madness. Sort of people going mad from the revelation is a pretty specific cosmic horror thing. Learning information that man was not meant to know. Specifically, like if you go to an eldritch location where it has quote unquote non Euclidean geometry, which <laughs> is a misnomer because Euclidean geometry is anything that is on a flat surface. So all geometry. Or on a curved surface, I should say. Uh, so all geometry is Euclidean. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought Euclidean geometry. All right, we're going to hit pause here. We'll come back. <laughs> no, we're we're going to come back. It's one of those two things. I can't remember, but it's like non-Euclidean ge- geometry isn't really a thing. It's something that Lovecraft made up to describe geometry that is weird. No, that that is, I don't think that's right. But after credits, we're going to talk about this. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then I think the third example that's worth describing uh, in tabletop, there's this little game called Call of Cthulhu. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's pretty great. Yeah. So Call of Cthulhu is shocker, cosmic horror. Uh, <laughs> the guy who invented cosmic horror with the story Call of Cthulhu, the game that's based off of his work is cosmic horror who would have figured um <laughs> you see all the classic tropes unknowable deities that have nefarious purposes not necessarily evil purposes uh eldritch knowledge that man was not meant to know sanity all the classics now one of the things that makes call of cthulhu cosmic horror which is why i struggle to name stuff like aboliths or mind flayers in fifth edition as cosmic horror is at its core, cosmic horror isn't cosmic horror if you can defeat it. The whole point of cosmic horror is your end is inevitable, and it's unpreventable. And nothing, you can only outlast it. You can't beat it. You can't save the world. The world is doomed. Uh, Regardless of what you do, you can only stall it at the most. Every victory is a Pyrrhic victory. So if you can kill an Ableth, which I know you technically can't because its brain will just reform you can kill a mind flayer and you can kill another brain so if you can kill those then it's not cosmic horror it's cosmic horror light lovecraft light as people would say um in fact call of cthulhu has something like this it's called pulp cthulhu where you can fight and kill the things that you meet the eldritch creatures that you meet and you know there's examples uh, i feel like there's more common examples of cosmic horror light in media than there are just classic straight examples so you know the old gods from world of warcraft anything that has tentacles or eyes the far realm so there's a lot of lovecraft inspired stuff that people classify as cosmic horror but classically it is not Although at, at an appropriate level, like going into 5e and pulling a lot of the creatures that were getting out of the Far Realm, especially in the most recent release of Spelljammer, at an appropriate player character level, they're basically unkillable. True. So you, you can achieve. True, but you, there's a saying in D&D that if it has a stat block, you can kill it. <laughs> um, no. So you may not, may not be able to realistically kill it, 
but the possibility is still there that, that it with, exists. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, with cosmic horror, the possibility is non-existent. There are some eldritch creatures in Call of Cthulhu that do have stats and stuff like that, but some of the bigger, like old gods, they don't have stats because you're not supposed to fight them. You're supposed to run away. <laughs> <laughs> and now, calling back to previous editions of D and D, in three five, there was this book called Elder Evils. Which was basically like, here, here's some cosmic horror in a book for you. I, I'm forgetting most of the things in there, but you had like the worm that walks. That was a, uh, a giant worm colony that just ate things. And then uh, there was the world born dead, which is probably the, the closest actual, actual cosmic horror. It's a giant planet. As it approaches your planet, uh, all of the dead things on your planet come to life and try to kill everything else. And basically have a zombie apocalypse as as the thing approaches. And then it's this giant dead world that, like, if I remember right, if it touches your world, it just absorbs it. And it's now a bigger dead world and carries on with that. And you can't kill it. You can kind of change its course and make it go away. But that's basically the only countermeasure. Uh, yep. So, yeah. So Cosmic Horror ha- has existed in, uh, you know, in tabletop for a long time. And it's very yeah. cool and spooky. Yeah, no, that is a that is an example of what would be cosmic horror. Something that you can't stop, you can only just redirect or maybe stall. And yeah, that's what makes cosmic horror terrifying is the fact that you can kill a monster. You can't kill the concept of entropy and inevitability. <laughs> All right, so there are three key aspects of cosmic horror that I want to talk through. I'm going to go ahead and go through them breathwise, and then we'll, we'll dive into each of them. The first, uh, gods and worlds beyond our imagining. So w- what do we mean by this? Uh, the madness induced by knowing these gods exist, these terrifying creatures that we couldn't possibly face, or being given you know, one one-hundredth of the possible information of the totality of the universe. Uh, the impact of this on mortal beings is the scary thing. The second thing, the merger of science, power, and religion. Uh, so, you know, we mentioned the mist earlier, right? The idea that's like, oh, these scientists, you know, they, they were too greedy and they were going too far. It's like they're dwarves going too deep. And all of a sudden, like they've opened a portal to another dimension. Uh, and now hell is raining down upon us. This is a pretty common trope. And it works really well in cosmic horror that uh, somebody from a position of authority, whether it be science, religion, or government, is taking steps that ultimately is going to lead to your demise. And then the final thing is the thin veil. So what I mean by this is typically a good way of telling these stories, especially if it's a story you want to tell your own adventuring party, is the world is normal. The world is whatever you consider normal for your world. And then we're going to peel it back and we're going to discover a terrifying reality. This might be who's controlling the world. This might be some otherworldly being. Ultimately, what has been accepted as normal, you can present to the players as, hey, you know, it it used to be very normal that, yeah, teenagers just go missing all the time. Like, doesn't that happen everywhere? Uh, And then one day you realize, wait, this isn't normal. So the characters learn that this isn't normal, but the player immediately hears it and says, oh, this is strange and I don't like it. And let's figure out what's going on. Peeling back the thin veil to show the gross, disgusting world underneath it. So let's dive into these a little bit. Gods and worlds beyond our imagining, that feels pretty simple because you can 
you know, just borrow straight from HP Lovecraft. Like there is Cthulhu. Uh, Cthulhu has invaded Pathfinder again. Jerk. <laughs> like if, if you're used to those classic like D&D Pathfinder style deities where it's like this is a deity, they have a name, they have a home, they have a function, like they are the deity of such and such thing and have such and such followers. And they're like, this is Cthulhu, uh, the high priest of the great old ones. And if Cthulhu ever comes to your world, all of the gods will die and things will be nasty and bad. And for a player who's grown up in a world that's like, oh, yes, there are these immensely powerful things called gods and we worship them. And sometimes they give us nice powers and sometimes they're jerks. What do you do? And then you find out, oh, no, 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 there's something so much worse. Like that'll shake up your worldview a bit. Yeah, I think when you are talking about worlds and gods beyond our understanding i feel like the tabletop games is the perfect medium for this uh trumped maybe only by novels i think that there's an inherent problem in doing this through a visual medium such as film or video games because we as humans are trying to conceive of things that we as humans are not supposed to understand and that can be kind of an issue so when you're describing something, a lot of it is left up to the imagination. And so it can't just be like, this is it. This is what I'm depicting. And people are like, oh, I can kind of understand that shape. I mean, it's a massive eyes, but it's creepy, but I can understand it. But with this, you well, can be actually, vague. I, I, I want to stop you right there. Yeah. Like even that, what you just described, like if I actually show you a picture or a video or a person in a costume where it's like, look, two tentacles and a hundred eyes, you're like, that's, I mean, gross, but not scary. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Versus just describing the thing, you know, only, only describing the thing with words yeah. um, and then mixing in like the descriptions of the sound that it makes and the bones crunching as the tentacle wraps around something like that's terrifying. That can lead to horror. But then I show you this goofy dude in a costume. I'm like, okay, no, this kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, like you can describe impossible things like you can, um, and your brain has to kind of figure it out for yourself because there's an inherent limiting factor of depicting something visually. That's hard to just, hard to explain or describe but it's like you can have like shapes that seem to go in and out of themselves parts of this creature's writhing body seem to be as massive as a mountain yet as small and precise as a grain of sand and it's just like well what the hell does that mean and your brain has to figure it out and suddenly it seems a lot more terrifying yeah, it's like as, as it scream envelopes your ears in every direction that you look, you are surrounded by the creature's face. Yes. That doesn't exactly. make any sense, but that's scary. I don't like it. Yeah. Am, am I being eaten? Am I eating it? I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, another way you can do it is like switch the senses around. You hear the taste of beef. Like what? <laughs> no, you just he you hear something. And immediately you know what this taste of beef sounds like. <laughs> it's a sizzle. <laughs> it's a sizzle. Okay, fine. Ruin it for me there, <laughs> Sorry. No, but that, that, that's what my brain did. And I'm like, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I hear the sound of umame. <laughs> your brain will come up with whatever it needs to. But yeah. ultimately, like, you realize that you're only getting partial information, which is kind of a sweet spot for cosmic horror. Well, and the second thing that I want to emphasize here is like everything you just said is right. Like the description 
and then letting the listener's imagination run away with it because they will find the scary things for themselves. Mm -hmm. It could be the case that at your table, everybody at the table has their own image or, you know, they, they hear their own custom thing for them. It will be the right thing. So you give them enough to let their imagination take it the rest of the way. And if you set the mood right, if you set the tone right, and you know, go listen to our episode on horror from last October. If you get that tone right, they will make themselves scared. And you, you know, less is more here. The second thing that I want to hit is meeting NPCs who have glimpsed this and portraying their madness can again be part of the scary part. So you could literally never describe the creature at all but only introduce the player characters to NPCs who have seen the creature and have been driven mad, you know, and, you know, not to, I'll, I'll try to keep this, uh, friendly, but you could step into body horror things like the ways that these folks might've harmed themselves. It could be the crazy things that they're saying. I, I think a really powerful way of handling this is like, give the data dump, let that person, that NPC say whatever they have to. And then they just the largest scream out and then they run away. Right. The, the second thing I would say here is like familiarity with these NPCs is probably not the best idea because again, the more comfortable the player characters become with these NPCs, potentially the less scary, whatever has happened is going to be. You can only play crazy as a, uh, as somebody running the game for so long. Uh, another way of handling that is let's say if there's some kind of like mind control happening or something like this, having that NPC snap back into under control and be like, no, I wasn't saying anything. Thank you very much. I bid you good day. And then they walk away and you're like, what has happened? Um, But ultimately letting your players understand how broken the people are who have had this experience can be, because that's what's scary to the characters is themselves becoming broken. Yeah. hundred percent. I think the way that you achieve the goal here with cosmic horror is less is more. Um, you want to have the players have more questions than answers when it comes to what they're dealing with. And the temptation, I think, with a lot of like eldritch gods or beings or whatever, is to, you know, make them the main villain or have them talk. I think that's a mistake. I think that as soon as a creature talks, it becomes something that a quantifiable thing. There are exceptions to this. I mean, uh, a good example is in the Mass Effect series. One of the great cosmic horror moments was when you first meet Sovereign, who is a creature of the Reapers that come to purge life every few centuries. But the reason that scene works is he leaves things very vague and is constantly saying in a matter-of-fact, monotone, almost inhuman and alien sort of fashion to the point where it feels horrifying and it feels unstoppable. Basically, I would say cosmic horror entities are like a force of nature more than they are actual beings. And so there's a reason why in a lot of cosmic horror games, the, and in Call of Cthulhu, the, the RPG, the main villains that you're fighting against aren't necessarily the eldritch creatures. It's the cultists and stuff that are trying to summon them. If Cthulhu shows up, it's already too late. <laughs> you, the game's over. Yeah, the bad <laughs> thing has happened. Yeah, the bad thing has happened. Well, and, and I think that that's actually a really good segue to dive deeper into kind of science, religion, and power 
we talked about the mist, right? So scientists open a portal to hell, bad things are happening, the religious zealots take over. So like, really, this is a bit of everything. Another example, um, apparently, you know, the, the Nazis were super into the occult. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess this is this is historical fact, but also it's appeared in a lot of popular media. So Hellboy is a good example. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is actually, yeah, a fantastic example, right? Yeah. Where they're trying to get the Ark and like, it isn't clear why. You just know it's a bad thing if they get it. And then it opens and yeah, terrible things happen, right? You know, close your eyes, Miriam, like that whole thing happening. Yeah. That little bit of a scene, you know, not to say Raiders of the Lost Ark is a cosmic horror film, but that little bit of a scene, I think, is a good example of the tropes you can bring into a game. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I think something that people don't use a lot is gods and celestials themselves as kind of cosmic horror. Uh, as a matter of fact, like you can see like the seeds of cosmic horror were planted before Lovecraft with, with the Bible. Like original angels, and I don't know if you know this, but the seraphim. Yeah, the seraphim are horrifying. And the reason that the seraphim don't talk to mortals is because if you see one or you talk to one, you immediately go insane or you burst into flame. It's one of the two. There's something to be said about, you know, if you want your pantheon to be really mysterious or really cosmic horror-y, make your divine entities sort of powerful cosmic horror. Like, they're benevolent. They've chosen to use their power for good and to help you. But like trying to tap into that divine knowledge can make you go insane. And then I think another interesting piece of this is like, what are the agents of that deity or of this creature? Yeah. So if it's something super religious, then you're probably going to have some kind of cultist. You're going to have some kind of religious zealots, something in this vein. And there might be two camps, right? There might be people fighting against and people supporting, and they might all be crazy. Like that can be fun. So there, there are no good people. There's just two sides of a different coin, and ultimately they're all going to kill us. If you're going for something more like science or government driven, then it might be like military leaders, and these are the people that you're running into. Like the general in an army is, is you know, he was given an order to go do this thing, and even though he knows it's a terrible thing, he's going to do it because it was his order, and you have to stop him. So now you have this maybe lawful, neutral, lawful, evil character that you're fighting against that could be a lot of fun to portray if it's scientists you know you could literally have you know in a modern setting you can have mad scientists doing what they're doing if it's uh, a little bit further back you could have somebody a little bit further back if it's a dnd <laughs> setting or pathfinder <laughs> setting right it's some alchemist who knows that if they they render the perfect element that something wonderful is going to happen except for it's not it's going to be terrible for everyone yeah um, but ultimately letting the the entity the big bad shape the agents of the big bad that you're going to face is an interesting way for setting up the story and setting up the likely combat encounters that you're going to have. Yeah, exactly. And then the, we, we talked about the thin veil. So I think this is an interesting storytelling device because something can't be, what's the right way to put it. You want your players to experience the horror through their characters. Something can't be strange without establishing what's normal. And so I think a great way of setting up a campaign or even setting up like a one shot is to first briefly establish what's normal through description, through a little bit of interaction before peeling the veil back and showing the abnormal, showing what's broken about the world, and then using that to build the malaise that you're ultimately going to stack this cosmic horror game on top of. Yeah. When we're talking about the thin veil, I think a lot of it has to do with preconceived notions being shattered. 
uh, we like to think that we understand the world and the universe. And I'm not just talking about in your fantasy game. I'm talking about in real life. We like to think that science has reached a point that we can probably explain most things, if not all things. But the funny thing is, is that centuries ago, people thought the exact same thing. And a lot of that was proven false. Now, I'm not saying that whatever we discover will be horrifying and awful and shatter our very the very nature of our existence but <laughs> we're, we're finally going to get the answer to dark matter and dark energy and it's just going to be tiny cthulhu's just flapping around in the universe <laughs> yeah maybe the maybe our apocalypse will be through uh unmitigated scientific process progress <laughs> well i mean there were people <laughs> terrified that um uh lhc was going to open a black hole and like we were literally going to shrink in on ourselves oh yeah uh, and that mm-hmm. hasn't happened as far as i know right yeah that doesn't mean it couldn't, though. <laughs> but, no, <laughs> or that uh, it hasn't happened thousands of times. <laughs> I think a good way to think about the Thin Veil, and this is going to be a pretty visceral analogy, so bear with me. But if you've ever been to one of those houses that has a serious issue, I haven't fortunately been to these, but I've heard of this, where you're in a house and it looks normal, it looks fine, but then a guy like takes a hammer, he 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 puts a hole in the wall and tears back the hole and just a sea of roaches comes out. Hmm. That's what, that's the thin veil. (laughs) The thin (laughs) veil is like, Oh yeah, we understand like, this is our pristine thing that we understand. Oh, but lurking just beyond the surface at all times that we were unaware of is horrifying. Yeah. I I love that. Yeah. (laughs) The the thin veil is drywall. The thin veil is drywall. <laughs> somebody, somebody spattered like some nice blue paint. He's like, oh, that's a nice wall. This is a wonderful dining room. Let's sit down and have a meal. All of a sudden, bang, claw hammer in the wall. Roaches scatter everywhere. The lights go out. Everyone screams. Yeah. The thin veil. Yeah. No, I'm with yeah. you. <laughs> We've all I mean, been there. The thin veil is like, like there's a lot of uh, another way that you can describe the thin veil is like, there's several epi- episodes of the Twilight Zone that I think do this really well. <laughs> all well, of them. Yeah, like all of them, uh, where a guy thinks that he's living in one situation when actually it was like a secret cabal controlling it the whole time and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so if you want ideas for a good one shot cosmic horror, just watch any episode of The Twilight Zone. Just scrape off those serial numbers. It's going to be great. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let, let's talk through designing a cosmic horror session, uh, whether it's a one shot or it's a short campaign for 5e or for PF2. I think the first question you have to ask is, what does the world appear to be and what is the world actually? You know, if you wanted to take this into a modern setting using 5e PF2 rules, you could say something like it's a small New England town. It's a research base. It's a hospital. If you wanted to use like a classic setting, it could be just, you know, a tiny hamlet in the mountains. That could be the world for the purpose of telling this story. You could also live in a big city that's well connected and the world could be the world. But then what is the sinister reality that lies underneath? Yeah, like you have your your classic tropes in whatever game you're playing. So D&D Pathfinder, you have your magical fantasy land, you know, various kitchen sink elements, whatever setting you're have and you're playing in, like it will have those established tropes. And then as you introduce cosmic horror, you can say like, okay, the the established tropes of this world, that is like the world as you understand it. And then you sneak in some cosmic horror. No, perfect. And so let's say you're at like a school of magic. Uh, And the reality is 
that all of the faculty, they're not properly sorcerers or wizards, as you once thought. Those, those spellbooks were fake. They're, in fact, all warlocks <laughs> with an otherworldly patron mm. that is ultimately forcing all of the students to take the same pact. Oh, no, my wizard's mentor turned out to be a gulag. <laughs> awesome and then so for folks at home gulag stands for great old one warlock the uh the original cosmic horror character in fifth edition of course <laughs> um, perfect but you don't have to go too far into the realm of fantasy to make something that's really creepy as well with cosmic horror like a good resource for really well done cosmic horror if you're like i don't want to do lovecraft i want to do something else the scp foundation sort of uh mythos is really good and one of the one of my favorite things that they have is uh an uh, an ikea is the setting it's the endless (laughs) ikea basically people (laughs) at various points a person will wander through an ikea and then they'll just end up in the never-ending ikea the, it's it, and there are these things called uh, the employees, I think they're called, which are these faceless, slender men type thing that wear the IKEA uniform and chase you down. And it's horrifying. It sounds ridiculous, but it's also horrifying. Or the famous one is uh, <laughs> the other famous one is the back rooms, where occasionally you could glitch out of reality just randomly for no reason, and you find yourself in a never-ending maze of flickering fluorescent lights yellow wallpaper and slightly damp carpet being chased by horrifying creatures you guys never heard of this it's, it's <laughs> not, freaking not terrifying ones. no I mean, but, those th- those both sound terrible though right yeah, like no, you could 100 percent have a fun like at exactly the blinking fluorescent light everything i need to be terrified and even <laughs> slightly okay, damp that, carpet who well, yeah. no, because imagine what eventually you're gonna think okay i'm safe i can lay down and sleep you know where you're not gonna sleep damp carpet wet yeah, wet, crunchy carpet. You're not sleeping on that. Yeah. And <laughs> the entire time you hear strange sounds and creatures are stalking you. Like, that's terrifying. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I think if you really want to do something different with Cosmic Horror other than just tentacles and eyes, you can really get... Really all Cosmic Horror is is just the breaking down of what we understand to be logic and reason in find the building blocks of what we thought was our logic and reason you get what i'm saying i'm i'm sort of eating my own words (laughs) which i guess uh, is a consequence of cosmic horror (laughs) people at home i'm gonna let you think of what what he was gonna say because it was good it's scary (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's what i'm here for so the the first bit all right what does the world appear to be what is it actually the second thing who or what controls this world Mm. Um, so maybe it's a powerful occultist. Uh, it could be a, a literal cosmic horror. So Spelljammer, we, we get statued for cosmic horror. Uh, another cool creature from Spelljammer, the Nathagu. The Nathagu is a brain-collecting six-legged apparition. It is obsessed with collecting 12 brains and then carrying those brains back to the far realm. What is it going to do? I don't know. I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Why 12? Who knows? Well, two for each leg, <laughs> you know, so, so maybe this creature has come and has, uh, so one of the things it can consume a brain, which means it's lost a brain, but it consumed it. And now it can, uh, can speak and understand all languages known by that brain. Okay. That's terrifying. So yeah. we're, we're in a hospital setting. 
this creature pops in, eats a brain, learns to speak common, and then gathers all the staff and says, great news, folks. I want an eclectic set of brains. We're going we're, we're gonna to go get some. You know who has the coolest brains in this hospital? The four-player characters. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, that would that, that'd be, that'd be pretty creepy. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could do is, like, you could pull an invasion of the body snatchers. Or, what is it, uh, Stargate? The main creatures from Stargate, these parasitic entities that feed on brains, get in people's minds and control them. That's terrifying. It's like <laughs> Animorphs? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Stargate, famously full of Animorphs. I mean, there's also... <laughs> famous, famous for its Animorphs. Yeah. Um, but... It's probably... <laughs> it's, it's season 11 a lot of people didn't get there but you know yeah the secret animorph stargate crossover let's do it let's Here's do a, it. it wasn't actually a secret just everybody stopped watching so nobody knew what happened <laughs> if you're a stargate fan out there uh email us at no i'm kidding <laughs> okay we're about to get stargated <laughs> okay so <laughs> well, once we answer that question who or what controls this world I think the next important question is, who are the agents of this creature? Uh, so if it's an occultist, it's probably going to be like more zealots, like religious fanatics, something like this, who all like, yeah, you know, let's get this thing in here and have it eat us. I don't know what their goal is. They're crazy. Uh, if it's in a hospital, it could be the hospital staff. This example of the, you know, the the great gulag horde at our, our school of magic. It's it's all the faculty. It's all of these spellcasters. Um, but ultimately, knowing who the agents are, we can then learn what will make them frightening. How can I make them unique? How do I build these in as enemies that will be interesting to my player characters? Yeah, I mean, this is honestly where you could use an Aboleth. Like an Aboleth would be a good sort of puppet master behind the scenes. And Slave works really well, especially if you're dealing with a school full of gulags. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe their purpose is to capture people and offer it to the Aboleth to enslave it. That that. I think what people fear a lot, and one of the reasons why creatures like the Borg were so frightening and so well evocative in Star Trek, is people's loss of identity and loss of self. I think that is one of the primal, visceral fears of humans. Yeah, 100%. I mean, another great example of that. Have you seen The World's End? I don't think so. So it's, it's the third movie in the Cronado trilogy? And the, the premise is they're going to go on like uh, a pub run in England, except for halfway through the pub run, they realize that everyone has been taken over by like this Borg like entity. And so now they're just pretending to drink at all these bars so they can skip town. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, we'll we'll that's put it, wait, Simon Pegg. No, come on. Okay. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's great. Fair enough. All right. So. The the fourth thing here, how will the veil be lifted for the player characters? What will the great reveal be? Uh, and I'm bringing this up to say a lot of things we like to improv. I think this has to be one of those impactful things. You know, when we first reveal that the world is not what it seems, plan the beginning of this and then think about, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, the contingencies for what you're going to do based on how your player characters react. We know what's controlling the world. We know the agents. We know the goal, like where are they headed? And ultimately, we have to reveal this. Maybe a person who has seen this otherworldly being 
runs in the room and they start spouting off like, you know, uh, I, I have seen, I have seen the thing. And like they, you know, they say some of the gibberish <laughs> that we were talking about earlier, earlier, like, you know, in all directions, I could hear my teeth and they were bouncing like wh- whatever it may be, drop the facts, maybe hand them like a key to a secret room. Uh, maybe it's a, a ritual sheet. It's like, you know, they must not, have this and they hand you a ritual sheet and then the dude just jumps out the window and you're in a tall building. So like, that's it. Unless everybody has felt their fall. That's the problem with magic worlds. You can just save them. (laughs) But I I think getting rid of that NPC, like just getting them out of the way. So it's like, okay, I have just, it has been revealed to me. The world is not what it seems. Very bad things are happening. And apparently crazy people who will kill for it. Want the scroll that is in my hand. Yeah. In writing terms, we call that the inciting incident. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and in this case, what it incites that player character to do is turn to the player character next to them and say, here, hold on to this for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when you, you split the party, the f- now. Yes. <laughs> right now. And then this you get to play the fun anymore. game. Bye. Uh, <laughs> then you get to play the fun game. Hey, which of the players are working for the bad guy? Oh, that's always like, fun. Could be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is having an idea from the get go is the goal to survive or is the goal to stop something for the player character? So if the goal is just to survive, have an idea of what safety means and reveal that early in no uncertain terms. So if the idea is you're at the top of a tall building, let's say it's a hospital, you're on the 10th floor. And if you get out of the hospital, you will be safe. This now gives them a mission and it gives them a reasonable belief of safety once they do it. That's the dungeon. Get out of the hospital and every floor they're facing something terrible. Scale up or down the hospital from, you know, four stories to 14 stories, depending on how long you want this campaign to go. Uh, but ultimately, <laughs> that, that, gives, that gives a motivation. And as long as they can hang on to that, never contradict it, because that's going to set things up to be weird. Have a plan for what you're going to do at the bottom of the hospital or whatever you're going to do when they reach that place that is safety. Vice versa. If the goal is to stop something, have the, have the basic idea of like, what does it mean to stop it? Does it mean, you know, spilling the vat? Does it mean stealing the sacrifice? Uh, Does it mean uh, destroying the scroll in some special way that, you know, like we have to throw it into Mount Doom because that's where you throw things when you want to get rid of them. Ultimately have an idea for how you're going to do stop them. At that point, this is probably the thing you give early on if it's a shorter game, let's say a one shot or a couple shot. Um, if it's a larger campaign, maybe figuring out how to stop it is the first arc, is just finding the recipe for success, so to speak. Yeah, I I think that uh, all of these points are very good and are a good starting point for uh, how to design a cosmic horror campaign or session. And I think that if you if you still don't quite get it or you don't have a good idea of how to do these these five points read anything from call of cthulhu the the rpg because they do they hit all five of these points especially in their most recent one a time to harvest like every single one of these is touched on in detail and how to achieve this effectively so that will give you some pointers on basically the building blocks of a good cosmic horror session or campaign oh okay that's good here so we we did something right that's exciting you did did it like (laughs) perfectly i was i was impressed (laughs) okay so let's run through them one more time now that we talk through them just to kind of get it into our brains okay so one what does a world appear to be and what is it actually 
Two, who or what controls this world? Three, who are this thing's agents and what makes them frightening? Four, how will the veil be lifted for the player characters? And five, what is the goal? Is the goal to survive or is the goal to stop something from happening? Um, And there probably could be other goals, but I feel like these are pretty two good ones. Either it's too late and you just got to make it out or it's not too late. Maybe you could do something and then you die. (laughs) Got to have that pyrrhic victory. Absolutely. Exactly. So I want to call out for both 5e and for Pathfinder, there's some good... <laughs> There's some reasonable rules for sanity. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> that, that I think you could bring in. And so for, for 5e, uh, you can basically add a sanity ability score. There is a, like written into the rules in the DMG, there's an ability that if something particularly bad happens, you can actually lower this score. And I think making a modification. So, so typically, if something would force an ability score to zero, in, in 5e, you die. Like, that's that's the rule, right? Mm-hmm. There aren't a ton of examples. Shadows are probably the best example, and they specifically say, like, if they reduce your strength to zero, you die and become a shadow. Yeah, so what I would say could be interesting is, like, take the rules as written in 5e, but maybe add a rule that if your modifier, not your score, but your modifier were to become zero or below, you would die. And so, crazy thing happens, we roll a check. If you fail the check, you lose a a point from your score, which makes it more likely you're going to fail things in the future. And if your modifier goes below zero, you're insane. And so while you're not physically dead, you're useless to everyone, including yourself. Pathfinder has, I think, probably better rules for sanity. Um, It's a little bit more complicated, but I'm going to try to run through it real quick. So your sanity score is the sum of all your mental ability scores. Your sanity threshold is equal to the bonus for your highest mental stat minus any ability damage to that statistic. When you receive san- uh, sanity damage, if it exceeds your threshold, you gain madness. And determining whether it's a greater madness or a lesser madness has to do with this idea of edge, which is half your score. I, that's, that's a lot to say. Look in the show notes. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can click that. You can go read the rules yourself. It's going to be great. What I'll say, though, is that mechanically, if you want something to drive sanity... Um, like rules built or like games built around horror have. So Cthulhu actually has a system for this. Adopting what you're given in 5e or PF2 probably gets you far enough mechanically to go ahead and make this happen. Yes, especially if this isn't going to be like your entire campaign. These systems work fine. D&D and Pathfinder clearly weren't built specifically to be cosmic horror games. Call of Cthulhu is going to handle this better. Games that are built specifically to be horror games are going to do this better. But like if you want to run like a short horror campaign or just like a one shot or something, um, I think these systems are going to do just fine. We have a question of the week this week. This week, our question of the week comes to us from Op Fawcett on Twitter. As it's Halloween season, advice on horror monsters and themes. Also, modules you loved running in October. Technically, that's not a question, but, you know, I I phrased it ambiguously on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, OK, I'll, I'll, I'm going to I'll turn it into a question uh, instead of also modules you loved running in October. What are some modules you loved running in October? That's fair. Yeah, some modules I've loved running in October. Um, I haven't done anything specifically for October in a couple of years. Um, I have a vague plan 
for this adventure I want to run uh, based on my Monstrous Races supplement where uh, the players are undead monsters at a Halloween party who have to get into shenanigans without being revealed as undead. So, like, not super horror-y, like some very, very light horror sprinkled in, but mostly, like, a lighthearted comedy romp for Halloween, and I just haven't had a chance to run it yet. It's like somebody accidentally casts Turn Undead, and then you turn and run, but you pretend it's just because you're being in character, but really, you're terrified. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. I love a good one-shot for Halloween. So, right, 5e, Pathfinder 2, both power fantasies, you're not really, I don't want to say you're not supposed to die that often if that's the game you love to play, I'm not here to yuck your yum, but generally I think most people play these games with the idea that if I'm playing a long campaign, I'm going to play a character for a while. In a one-shot, all bets are off, you could die, and I think that really builds the anxiety, it helps the player feel nervous for the character. Combining that, like, here's what I say, like, part of this question was basically, hey, it's Halloween season, Advice on horror monsters and themes. My advice, go listen to last year's Spooktober arc. Listen to this year's Spooktober arc. Perfect. But but the common... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well-timed question. The, <laughs> the big things that I've taken away from putting in all the thought that we've taken to put these episodes together. One, less is more when it comes to the facts. Say something vague, say something spooky, and let the player's imagination run with it. Two, describe a creature or describe something happening in the environment more than the matter of fact. So describing the ogre is more scary than saying there's an ogre there. Describing the mechanism of the trap actuating is more scary than saying you discover a trap. So this is a place where more is less. Give the description and then let the player put together what's actually happening. And again, ultimately their imagination, you know, you give them... 20% of what's happening, their brain will fill in the other 80%. And ultimately, that's what's going to lead to them feeling like the feeling of malaise or the feeling of dread that you want them to feel. Uh, And then counter to this is leveraging a session zero, even if it's offline, to make sure that everybody's going to feel comfortable with whatever you're going to do. So... It's it's really easy to step into spaces where folks are uncomfortable. Um, it could be a fear of arachnids. It could be a general distaste for like body horror. Um, but ultimately, figuring out what everybody kind of is and isn't comfortable with is then going to allow you to feel free to explore everything versus looking at like the body of what you put together for a story and saying, like, uh, is this too much? Have I gone too far with this? <laughs> I agree with Randall. If you want advice on how to do good monsters and horror themes uh just listen to the spooktober episodes that's what they're there for um and hey, i'm gonna put rpg button on us on a uh the spot we should make a spotify playlist we have one for spooktobers <laughs> oh uh no i don't think we have one specifically for spooktober uh yeah we have spotify playlists you can subscribe to them and sometimes i even remember to update them <laughs> spooktobers <laughs> I agree with everything that Randall said about running horror games. I don't really have anything to add. But um, as far as games that I've been running in October, I haven't run them yet, but I am running two games uh, the week of October, because uh, I mean the week of Halloween, because I'm insane. The first is a Vampire the Masquerade game, which I'm very excited about. Had our session zero, talked about all that Lions and Veils stuff, so that's always good. Um, and then the second one is shameless plug. I'm running a one shot. Let's start playing. 
called Escape from the Vanishing Halls, where uh, I will be probably mining some stuff that we talked about today, like Cosmic Horror stuff. I think by the time this episode goes out, that game will have already concluded. But yes, I'm sure it will have gone well. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. We believe in you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) All hell the illusion. (laughs) All hell the leisure illuminati. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Camps. You'll find me on a 1950s radio drama. RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. This just in. If you haven't followed Ash Eli at Graven Ashes, you better hurry up. You're missing out because he's just opened up a new game on StarPlane.Games where you can find all of his great offerings including Escape from the Vanishing Halls and soon after he's going to be running a one-shot using the new rules released by Call of Cthulhu called Regency Cthulhu. Check it out. Back to you. (laughs) Thank, Thank you, Ash. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.net content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Your voice kept getting, like, high and a little bit pinched, and I I was... I'm like, he's gonna go into chipmunk territory <laughs> any second now. <laughs> and that is the true cosmic Thanks, horror. I thought you did great, Randall. I okay, alright, real quick, real quick. So, Euclidean <laughs> geometry. Um, there, there's more... Oh, well, no, 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 but let's I, just, we'll, we'll, Dan, stick this up, in the afterwards, yeah. we'll give people, so, so they'll know for the future. Okay, so basically, Euclidean geometry, I don't remember all the details, like, I think it's a list of axioms that define it, but ultimately what it comes down to, um, I have a line, I have two lines that intersect that line perpendicular, which are parallel. Euclidean geometry, they will never intersect again. A non-Euclidean geometry, uh, you can't say that they'll never intersect again. Um, oh, and also they'll like they'll remain equidistant. Okay, so uh, a good example is like imagine the two D surface of a sphere. Parallel lines on a sphere actually intersect twice. So they're par- they're parallel, let's say at the equator, okay. but then they intersect at the po- the poles. And I want to say this is a Curie geometry, like that's what my memory oh, says, uh... but I, I may be remembering this incorrectly. And then. So that's ellipsoid, oh, or right. ellipsoid, excuse me, um, which a sphere is a special case of ellipsoid. The other one is... Uh, uh, I screwed it up. Non, yeah, non-Euclidean geometry is geometry on a curved surface. No, no, it's okay. Well, but then the other is you, you have, you have a, uh, hyperbolic <laughs> geometry, which is not like on a curved surface, where instead the lines get further and further away from one another. So they won't intersect, but they also right. aren't equidistant to infinity. And you can't really project that onto a curved surface, but it's the it is the other example where basically Euclidean is the special case where they actually remain equidistant the whole time. 
No, 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 no. I, oh, I feel stupid. I, I have a math degree. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. And I, I shouldn't have been talking about math. I just thought it'd be fun. <laughs> we just learned no. so many things. No, Actually, no, this no, is no, the real good. cosmic horror you're if you good. think about it. <laughs> we did. Oh, God. Kill me. <laughs> Turns out the cosmic horror is uh, just the leisure Illuminati trying to summon Cthulhu. Turns out the cosmic horror <laughs> were the friends we made along the way.